ABF. Let's start off this morning with some staggering uh, statistics. In 2016, 90,000 Christians were martyred around the world. A year before, in 2015, 105,000 Christians were martyred. And one aspect that you will often notice where there's a high concentration of Christians who are, be, who are killed is that, that the Christians in that area will continue to share their faith in Jesus Christ. It's almost as if they have a philosophy that is spoken or unspoken that says, hey, suffering is going to end. And there is an end date to this suffering, but until then, we must continue to tell people about Jesus Christ. It reminds me of a missionary. His name was John Patton, who wanted to go and share the gospel with cannibals on the island of New Hebrides. And an older man tried to discourage him and told him not to do that. And he said, the cannibals, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And I like the reply of John Patton, what he said to this older man. He said, hey, old man, you are soon to die and you will be eaten by worms. So why does it matter if I die and I'm eaten by cannibals? One day, both of our bodies will rise at the resurrection, which basically means that suffering has an end date. But until then, the church must continue to witness. Now, I just want to be honest with you. My mind and my heart do not naturally go there. I seek comfort. I seek peace. I, I try to figure out how to avoid conflict. Yet the Christian life is often one of trials. And, and part of the trials come when we actively engage others with the gospel of Jesus. And if you are seriously living out your call to Christ, you may not be killed for your faith, but I can guarantee you if you're following Jesus Christ, you will face pushback for your faith in Jesus. If you're truly living a life for Jesus, you will face some backlash. 2 Timothy 3.12 guarantees this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But the suffering has an end date. But until then, you and I must faithfully witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we're going to look at this morning as we turn to the book of Revelation and see a couple of Christians in the end times suffering and yet still witnessing. The original hearers of this prophecy were the churches who were suffering in the first century. But it, it's a good word throughout time, whether it's them suffering or us suffering, that we must still witness. So let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. We are in the context of the tribulation. That's the intense time of judgment and persecution before the second coming of Christ, laid out from chapters 6 through 19. These judgments display a variety of God's wrath upon the unbelieving world in the, in the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. Now, occasionally, in the midst of all these, these judgments, there are these breaks 
or interludes to let you know what is going on with the believers during the time of the tribulation. And these interludes are supposed to provide hope that God has not left the believers during the tribulation and he still has a plan. So in between the sixth and the seventh seal, we have an interlude of chapter seven. Remember, remember the hopeful image of the nations worshiping before the throne. And last week we had another interlude between uh, in chapter 10, which came between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And the focus of the interlude continues today in chapter 11 and centers on the eternal protection of God's people. Once again, suffering has an end date, but until then, the church must faithfully witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Suffering has an end date. Revelation chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. In John's vision, he is given a measuring rod like a staff, which is basically like a humongous ruler or tape measure, in order to measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Now, this temple is either a temple in heaven which would be symbolic of believers, or it is a physical rebuilt temple during the tribulation on earth. Now, as you know, there's not currently a temple in Jerusalem, but many believe that there will be one in the future. And right now, if you look online, you'll see there's even some people making contributions and they're, and they're creating a fund to rebuild the temple. But what I want you to also notice in verse 1 is that God is also measuring his worshipers. Measuring has this idea of ownership or protection. God wasn't measuring to determine dimensions, but he was measuring to mark off his people for protection. God will eternally protect his people. His wrath and his judgment will not fall on his people. But just because believers are eternally protected doesn't mean that they won't face persecution in this life, as we see in verse 2. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, this is a little, little complicated. Try to stick with me here. The nations here represent unbelievers, and the believers are not to be measured because they are not owned, the unbelievers should not be measured because they're not owned or protected from the Lord. They are in the traditional place of the Gentiles, as it says here, in the court outside the temple. In fact, it says, if you look at it again in verse 2, they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, the holy city is, is most likely a reference here to Jerusalem, not representing the church. And, and 42 months is the time allotted by God for the intense persecution of God's people. This is a three and a half year segment and it's referred to in many ways in Revelation from 42 months to 1,260 days and a time times and a half a time, which is a year, two years, and a half a year. And, and many think this is the second half of the seven year tribulation period that will be most intense for Christians. 
And the book of Daniel gives a glimpse of these prophesied times of persecution in Daniel 7.25 and 12.7. And Jesus even seems to touch on this persecution a bit in Luke 21.24. And he says this, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, let's not go too deep here, but just know this. God has eternally protected His people. But there is an allotted time for their persecution by the enemy. Yet there is an end date to their suffering. And just as there is an end date to the suffering of those during the time of the tribulation, I want you to know there is an end date to your suffering as well. It will not go on forever. You are safe. You are protected in the saving hand of God who loves you and will not let you go. But sometimes in your suffering, you, you may doubt that God is protecting you. You may doubt that God knows what's best. Sometimes as I'm struggling with an illness, as I am right now, I'm wondering, maybe God doesn't know what's best. Maybe he's not measuring me. Maybe he's not protecting me. Once I was with my, my family and I was, I was trying to order some glasses online and, and the instructions uh, for the glasses said, you need to measure between one pupil to the other pupil. And so I got, I got my, my, my wife and my son, my oldest son, to help me out. And my wife measured the distance from one pupil to the other. And she said it was six centimeters. And then my son measured the same thing from one pupil to the other. And he said it was 23 centimeters. So uh, I'll let you figure out uh, which one of them was right. But maybe that's kind of what you're thinking with God. I mean, those are vastly different measurements. And perhaps you think that God's knowledge of your problems and your issues are off because you're experiencing so much pain. But understand that God's measurement of you demonstrates his protection. He loves you. He has a plan. This suffering will not last forever. Your suffering and my suffering has an end date. So let's kind of jump ahead right now for a moment. Let's skip ahead at the end of chapter 11, and we're going to see this ultimate victory from this suffering. And let's look at verse 15. This is what we've been waiting for. The whole Bible is verse 15. We've been waiting for this the whole time. So let's look at verse 15. This is a big deal. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the blowing of the seventh trumpet signals and heralds the return of Christ, where he will establish his kingdom, and he shall reign forever and ever. The announcement is, is made here while some additional events and judgments will transpire before the fullness, but it's basically over as Christ will reign forever. It's like an anticipation here of chapters 20 and 21 and the unhindered reign of Christ. This verse is the end goal. This is, this is where all our longings point. The nations are no longer in rebellion as Christ reigns supreme. 
Now the scene shifts to worship in heaven in verses 16 and 17. Check that out. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Notice that he is he's no longer the one who is to come. He's already come. For the seventh trumpet announces his coming. Christ is currently reigning at the right hand of the Father, but the reign is now unchallenged and uncontested in the fullness at his second coven. Now we have judgment and, and vindication in full effect. This is what we long for. Uh, verse 18, The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. This is a look ahead, once again, at the coming judgment by destroying those who were the destroyers of the earth by their sin. It says they were the destroyers of the earth. This is not talking about people failing to recycle, but this is a judgment for an unrepentant life of sin. This time of judgment will be also a time of reward for believers who trust the Lord, His servants, His prophets, His saints, and all who fear the Lord. Look at verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake and heavy hail. In the temple on earth, there were these massive restrictions, remember, in the presence of the ark, which could symbolize, which did symbolize the presence of God. But now the access is free to all those who have faith in Jesus. By his death and his resurrection, he has forgiven sinners. They trust in him. Now they have full and free access in the very presence of a holy God. And the glory of God is seen with the accompanying lightning and thunder and earthquake and, and heavy hail. And now all those who have faith in Christ are, are worshiping this holy and glorious God in His presence forever and ever. And God will be with His people forever. That is, and this is, the ultimate end date of suffering of all believers when Jesus comes back sets up his kingdom. He has an uncontested and unchallenged eternal kingdom. Amen. Until we're with Christ forever and the suffering is over with, there is one thing that we do now that we will not do in heaven, and that is witness. Until then, the church must faithfully witness and tell others about Jesus. Now, in the end times, during the tribulation, near the end, we will see the example of two faithful witnesses. And they're witnesses telling others about Christ and judgment, even in the midst of persecution. Let's look at them. Go back to verse 3. Back to verse 3. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now during this intense 42-month period of persecution, there will be two witnesses authorized by the Lord and clothed in sackcloth. Sackcloth was usually worn during uh, times of mourning or repentance. So it's appropriate 
attire for their message of judgment and the need for repentance and faith in Jesus. Now just imagine all the calamities we've been talking about during this tribulation with uh, the seals and the trumpet judgments, the earthquakes, uh, the death. Remember all the demonic torture? These witnesses will call people to flee the coming wrath by escaping in repentance and faith in Jesus. Verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. The two olive trees is, is probably a reference from Zechariah 4, verse 3 and 14, which was an original reference to a leader and a priest. And when it says the two lampstands, it's symbolic of shining the light of the Lord into a dark world. Well, the question is, and it's always debated, who are these two witnesses? And we know they're two future witnesses, but they will do some things that sound very similar and remind you of two Old Testament characters. Uh, let's watch this and see who comes to mind as we read uh, the characteristics of these two witnesses. Think of two Old Testament characters this sounds familiar with. Verses 5 and 6. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Now let's think about this. Who, who does that remind you of with fire and, and the shutting of rain? Yeah, the, the prophet Elijah. And, and how about the power of turning water into blood and, and the strike the earth with plagues? Yeah, Moses. If people came to mess with him, then they were struck dead. But the three and a half years ran out and they were finally killed, as we see in verses 7 and 8. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Now the beast is a reference to the Antichrist, which we'll see in more detail as we go through the rest of Revelation. And notice that this is the first uh, of 36 references uh, with most of the details in chapters 13 and 18. And here, uh, the demonic empowered beast from the bottomless pit makes war on the two witnesses and conquers and kills them. And the bodies of these two will lie in the streets of Jerusalem, which is called Sodom and Egypt which is an appropriate reference for their evil and hard hearts. And the same evil that was behind the crucifixion of Jesus is behind the killing of these two witnesses. Now, it's going to be party time. Once these guys are dead, it's party time. Look at verses 9 and 10. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. 
People come from all over the world to look at these two dead bodies who caused so much torment on the earth. The unbelieving world is so happy and, and they rejoice over them and, and they're exchanging presents like it's Christmas morning. Maybe they called it Dead Witnesses Day. Let's, let's change, exchange presents. Let's have a great party. But the party only lasted for three and a half days. Look at verse 11. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Now it seems at this point that God is ready to wrap up history. These two resurrect from the dead and hear a loud voice from heaven. Come up here. And up they went to heaven in a cloud. And a great fear fell on all the gloaters and the revelers. And next came more punishment on the enemies as a great earthquake hit, you see it, and destroyed a tenth of the city. It looks like some of the unbelievers, now check this out, it looks like some of the unbelievers might have even been saved, as it says, some of them gave glory to the God of heaven. Now that, that may just simply be a, a nod in the direction of someone with great power, or it may be genuine repentance. And there's a bit, a bit of hope here, right? That there, there might be a good response and there might have been, and there might will be a good response to the testimony of these two witnesses. You know, it's often been said that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. As many die for their faith, it is amazing how many people come to faith in Jesus. You see it throughout history where there's a, a great concentration of martyrdom. You see a lot of people coming to faith in Jesus as the gospel spreads. I mean, we can, we can even rename it. You know, we're going to have in a few weeks something called Prelude to Revival. You could even rename it um, Precursor to Persecution. Because think about it. If we get pumped up, right, in our Prelude to Revival, we want to share the gospel. We get pumped and we want to share it more and more. That may just be ramping up to more and more pushback or, in fact, persecution. But it's worth it. It's worth it. As we go out and share the gospel, many can be reconciled to a holy God through faith in Jesus. And we always got to keep in mind that, hey, suffering has an end date. This is not going to last forever. But until then, the church must faithfully witness and, and as I said earlier, my heart does not naturally resonate with this biblical vision. I, I, I want comfort. I want peace. I, I want things to go smooth for me. But I want what the Word wants. And, I, and I'm sure you want it as well. And so let's, let's pray to that end that, that while we're here and while we suffer, we know this won't last forever. We have hope of eternal life with our Father. But until then... We should be about doing the one thing that we will not do in heaven. And that's telling others about Christ. And there may be pers uh, persecution, there may be pushback, 
There may be broken relationships, but let us care about the glory of God and let us care about the souls of others that until we're with Jesus, that we will continue to press on and tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ until we see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, I just ask as we are going through trials, at least I'm going through a trial right now and many of my brothers and sisters uh, are too, that you'd have mercy on us in the present and let us know that our suffering has an end date. Some of it may pass in this life, but ultimately the end date is when you come back or when we die and we're with you face to face. But until then, Lord, uh, as we are about a lot of things in this life, May we also be about telling others about Jesus, continuing to witness, no matter the pushback and the hard times that we may face. May we love your glory and love other people enough that no matter what's going on in our trials and our pains, no matter what they may say to us or not say to us, may we care enough about them to share your love with them, the good news of Jesus living and dying and rising for them, so they can be with the Father one day in heaven as well. So Lord, may you keep our hearts fixated on you and your will until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.